I'm Andrew Schweitzer, and you're listening to BoxingForFree.com's podcast. Uh, it's been a while since you've heard my voice, and the truth is that after all the excitement in the build-up to Mayweather versus Alvarez, and the lack of excitement during the actual fight, I was kind of burnt out and, det- and decided to take a sabbatical from uh, my regular duties on the site, but... Um, I've returned, and I'm ready to get caught up with the latest news and results, so let's get started. Adonis Stevenson made a successful defense of his light heavyweight title by utterly dominating Tavoris Cloud over seven rounds this past Saturday in Montreal. I've seen pictures of the fight, and Cloud just looked like a bloody mess. I kept hearing that he wasn't doing anything, that he wasn't landing anything very effective on Stevenson, and that Stevenson was living up to his nickname, Superman. This was a fight that uh, Tavoris Cloud really needed to look good in, considering the last time he fought he was outclassed by Bernard Hopkins, and before that he was given a gift decision against Gabriel Campillo. Meanwhile, Stevenson has had a very big year. He avenged the only loss of his career against Darnell Boone, scored a sensational first-round knockout of former light heavyweight champion Chad Dawson to win the title, and this recent domination against Cloud is adding some much-needed excitement to the heavyweight division. He's thrown out Bernard Hopkins' name as a possible opponent, so we'll have to see what happens with that, considering that Hopkins does have a fight coming up soon, and he does have to win that in order for a fight with Stevenson to, you know, make some money. Julio Cesar Cesar Chavez Jr. and Brian Vera faced off in a bout that was controversial before it even started last night, and even more controversial when it ended. Now, if you listen to the podcast regularly, you'll know that over a year ago, when I was making my prediction for Chavez versus Martinez, I said that should he lose, and I predicted that he would, that Chavez would have to rededicate himself to the sport, he'll have to discipline himself, He'd have to do all the right things to show people that he is serious about this. However, it seems that in the year since I made that prediction, Julio decided not to heed my advice, since it's been obvious that this is a spoiled little kid who is always going to ride on his daddy's coattails for as long as he can. Originally, his fight with Brian Vera, whom uh, Vera, you may remember, I've compared him with Carlos Molina in the fact that he is a spoiler. You know, he'll he'll just upset the odds when you think it's not his time. He did against Andy Lee. He's done it twice against Sergio Mora. And, well, I'll get to the fight with Chavez later. But originally, the fight with Vera was supposed to take place at 160 pounds, then 163 pounds, then 165 then 168, and it was finally settled last week at 173 pounds. Uh, Chavez went on the record admitting that the weight kept changing because he didn't see the need to make 168 pounds because this was not a world title fight. So, he goes into the fight last night, and I didn't see it. I'm just following it on Twitter based on commentators and people watching it. But a lot of people had Brian Vera winning, except for the judges, with uh, two of them giving Chavez more than seven rounds in the ten-round fight. 
The crowd was naturally upset by this, as was Brian Vera, whom many people believe won the fight. Ronnie Shields was telling Vera in the corner before the last round that he was going to be the upset of the year and that he was doing everything right, but... And, and he was, apparently, but the judges didn't see it that way. In fact, this kind of reminded me, you know, ba based on the outrage of people, because so many people were upset that Chavez got the victory, especially by the wide margins that he did. It kind of reminded me of uh, the beginning of Raging Bull when Jake loses for the first time in his career, even though everybody thought he'd won. And I uh, wrote on Twitter that Ronnie Shields should channel his inner Joe Pesci and just tell Brian Vera this. Don't leave. Don't get out of the fucking ring. Stay here. You won. Let him go first. Stay here. Tell him. So, once again, incompetent judging has become the talk of the sport instead of the actual fight itself. Now, here's the interesting thing that... I don't think a lot of people might know about the judges. Uh, the official scores were 98, 92, 96, 94, and 97, 93, all for Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Uh, a lot of people aren't that upset with the 96, 94 score, and that was by Judge uh, Carla Caiz. However, the two scores by Gwen Adair and Marty Denkin are the most controversial. And what you may not know about Adair and Denkin is that they are 80 and 79 years of age, while Kais is 27. This is the problem. You have old people judging big fights when it's clear they should not be in that position. The commissions have got to stop relying on people who rely on the early bird special for dinner to judge big fights. Now, Chavez has already said he believes he won the fight and that he's not going to give a rematch. HBO has apparently said that Vera will be back on the network and chances are Julio Cesar Chavez is already back at IHOP. Now, I would love to know if this guy has any fans left in the sport. And if you're a fan of Julio Cesar Chavez, please feel free to email me, tweet me, whatever. Just say, hey, no, I'm a fan of Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., and explain why. He says that he wants to have Freddie Roach back in his corner for his next fight, but I don't see that happening. After all the crap he pulled with, you know, arranging training sessions and then canceling at the last minute, leaving Roach standing around, not doing anything, his lackluster performance against Sergio Martinez until the last round when he actually decided to start fighting, and now this constant immaturity with it's, it's not so much immaturity it's just a lack of discipline to make weight and simply because oh well it's not a world title fight why should I bother I mean if I were Freddie Roach I'd block his calls uh, that, that's a shame I, I feel for Brian Vera obviously he feels like he won the fight he said so during the post fight pre press conference but it's a real shame it really is. And last night was also the premiere of... Uh, do I really have to do this? I just... I don't really want to do this. Okay, fine, let's... You know what, let's just do this and get it over with. This is 24-7, Bradley Marquez. I hate my life right now. 
I just thought you should know that. You know what? Maybe I'm going about this the wrong way. I mean, there's no Floyd Mayweather. He's on Showtime now. It's Bradley. He's only been on 24-7 once. You know what? This We could get a good episode. I mean, fingers crossed. Let's get this started. So, the episode opens with Tim Bradley, and it's talking about him growing up in Palm Springs, California, and also how his dad installed a hard work ethic in his life. Once I started boxing, man, uh, I saw a new direction I can go into, man. I fell in love with boxing from day one. You know, I started making better decisions and wiser choices. You know, my dad instilled in me from day one, nothing in this world comes easy and nothing is free in this world. You gotta earn everything you get. Now, now how much do you wanna bet that Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. watched that and said, that's not true. Um, anyway, after that we get to uh, obviously the most controversial part of Bradley's career, the fight with Manny Pacquiao. He earned his biggest reward, an opportunity in the ring against one of the sport's most iconic figures, welterweight champion Manny Pacquiao. Going into that fight, we were just happy to, to uh, get that opportunity. Let's put it together now. We're going to win this fight, man. We've been waiting out our life to get a break like that. And we're going to take no pain. Okay. You're a f***ing warrior. Again, Bradley choosing to trade with Pacquiao. This would clearly appear to be Bradley's best round. I thought that if I won that fight, I was definitely going to get all the credit I deserve. I thought that a lot of doors were going to open up. You know, I even thought might even be on Oprah. That's kind of funny considering that Oprah's, you know, daytime show ended the year before. And all she has now is a network that nobody watches unless Lance Armstrong's on it. But, uh... Yeah, I, one thing I do like about this is that they do show some good moments that Bradley had, but they also show that, hey, you know, when the decision was announced, not even the HBO people were very happy about it. After 12 rounds, it appeared everyone agreed that Pacquiao had been the better fighter by a wide margin. 11 rounds to one, Manny Pacquiao. It seems to be a foregone conclusion. Everyone, it turned out, except the only opinions that actually mattered. And new WBO welterweight champion of the world, Bradley! That is a terrible bogus decision. Timothy Bradley has scored an upset split decision victory over Manny Pacquiao. God only knows how. And, uh, you know, Bradley has in always insisted that he thought he won the fight. I think I recall him saying that he would have to go and watch the tape to see if he actually felt he won, but... It turns out that he did watch the fight and that he does think he won because here's how he scored it. I feel deep in my heart, man, after watching the film over and over and over and over. I beat him eight rounds or four. I myself had it ten rounds to two for Manny Pacquiao, but again, my opinion doesn't count. I will admit that I, uh, I felt a bit bad for Bradley and his family because I don't think he deserved the blame and the backlash that he got. That was for the judges. And the, uh, the death threats that he received, I mean, 
that's that's just low. I don't condone of death threats or any sort of threats. So it, it's just it's kind of pathetic and sad that people resort to that form of stupidity just because they're upset because there are incompetent judges. But at the same time, I don't think Bradley believes he won the fight. I mean, who knows? Maybe I'm talking out of my butt. But look at the fight when it's done. Like, he he walks away from Pacquiao, and he's got his arms raised, but he's got his head lowered, kind of like, oh, God, what the hell have I done? And even his wife, you know, if, if she thought he won, she should be standing up, clapping, smiling, cheering. Nope, she's just kind of sitting in her chair. She has this look on her face like, okay, well, he lost, but he didn't get beat up. He'll live to fight another day. He's okay. He'll get over this. Sorry, I, I don't believe Bradley won, and I will continue to believe that until I'm convinced otherwise. And don't try to convince me either. And uh, now we transition to a man whom you don't have to convince me that he beat Manny Pacquiao in his last fight, and that is Juan Manuel Marquez. And for some reason, 15 minutes after the fight, he allowed an HBO cameraman to film him in the shower. Now, I'm sorry, no, I'm not allowing that. It's like, hey, you know, I'm going to wear a bathing suit if that's okay with you. I... Or, or you could have, you could have told the camera guy, hey, keep it above the waist. But no, they had to show a little bit of butt crack for Juan Manuel Marquez's lady fans. Now, one thing that actually disappoints me about Juan Manuel Marquez in this episode is that he doesn't speak any English, and we know he can speak English. If you watch the uh, face-offs that he did uh, with Pacquiao and the recent one with Bradley, he's speaking perfect English with uh, Max Kellerman and Bradley. So you're thinking, why aren't you doing that here? I mean, th this could help you reach a new audience, you know, kind of become a an international superstar like Pacquiao. I mean, it it's sad because, I mean, he could be on talk shows talking about, hey, I'm the guy who beat Manny Pacquiao. That'd be interesting, but no. And unfortunately, that makes it very hard for me to put up the clips with you know when there are subtitles unless well we're not doing a video podcast so there you go but unless you habla espanol then you're not gonna have any idea what's uh, going on when i'm playing audio of him but anyway i'm gonna do the best i can so juan starts out by saying that uh he believes that the knockout was divine justice and uh I don't want to get into a religious topic again, but um, don't you think God would have done that maybe the second time you fought him or maybe the third time? Don't you think he would have, you know, done it sooner without you having to, you know, break your nose again? I, I'm getting in so much trouble for this. I'm going to move on. So he talks about going into the fight that he and Pacquiao knew each other so well that the smallest change that they made was was going to be important and make a difference. He talks about the biggest uh, moment of that of that fight uh, up like b before the knockout, of course, but uh, that was when he knocked Pacquiao down in the third round. Hard right hand by Marquez, and for the first time in four fights, man. 
Manny Pacquiao has been knocked out. The interesting thing about that is uh, Marquez's trainer, Ignacio Bearstein, admitting that Pacquiao was at his most dangerous after he got knocked down because he wanted to get revenge for that. And, you know, they may not be the best of friends, but these two fighters and their camps, I believe that they do have tremendous respect for each other and their abilities. En el quinto round me conecta Pacquiao con una mano eh, izquierda bien, de recto, pero no bien, yo me tropiezo con su pie. Now, Marquez says that the left hand that Pacquiao landed, which eventually dropped him, that it didn't land flush and that Pacquiao tripped him. I don't know if he means that he actually tripped me with his feet, our feet are tangled, but no, I, I honestly do believe that no, it wasn't his feet, it was actually the punch that tripped you and made you go down. And at that point, Berestain was very worried because he saw that Pacquiao was getting more and more dangerous. And that's what I remember uh, watching that fight in the bar. A lot of people were thinking that too. It's like, okay, this fight is not going to go the distance. Pacquiao is going to finish it in the next round or two. Marquez is hurt bad. Marquez is feet are wobbling. He's in trouble. And now we get to the most important part of the fight, the end of the sixth round. And there, there just aren't any words to describe it. That was such... I don't care whether you're a Pacquiao fan or not. You have to admit that that was a brilliant knockout that he scored. And another interesting thing about this is that Juan shows off his boxing IQ by, you know letting us know that when Pacquiao faints, he leans forward, and he was looking for that feint so that he could land his counterpunch. La tomadora del tiempo, o el juez, golpea en el ring, faltando 10 segundos, yo no escuché nada. Simplemente cuando esperé que Pacquiao entrara con esa finta, cuando Pacquiao finta, entra. Entonces, yo nomás estaba esperando esa finta cuando le hiciera para yo conectar mi golpe, y, y así lo llevamos a cabo. Sensational right hand knockout by a bloodied Juan Manuel Marquez, and that is the keystone moment of his career. What's interesting also about that is that Bradley said, uh, at, like after this, they go back to Bradley, but he says pretty much what I was saying after uh, Marquez knocked Pacquiao out. If I was him, I would retire on that note. That picture right there, Pacquiao face down, I had that frame on my wall, and me like this, running around the ring all bloodied up but <laughs> he chose to stick around man he should retire at his highest point of his career so after marquez's uh you know big victory over pacquiao we flash forward to timothy bradley's uh return bout and I, I i almost say that as if he had you know technically yes i believe he lost but he didn't so it's not really a return bout he's just it, his first defense of the welterweight title against ruslan provodnikov and I was kind of surprised that Joel Diaz, who is Bradley's trainer, admitted that this was the last guy they really wanted to fight. Ruslan Provodnikov is the last person on my list. That's the guy I don't want to fight right now. But he was our only choice. He was the only guy that was willing to fight me. Everybody else is booked up. Just do it. Hey, let's do it. Bradley really went into this fight with a lot to prove, not only to himself, 
well, I don't think he wanted so much to prove it to himself, but prove it to everybody else that he is one of the best fighters pound for pound in the world. And he also wanted to show off how tough he could be. My strategy is to box, but my mind was telling me, kick this shit out of this guy, whoop his ass, get that respect. Freaking Pacquiao could knock me out. What the hell this guy's gonna do? He's not gonna knock me out. Well, I had to work that night. So just before I uh, got to work, I was checking updates on the on my smartphone and uh, a lot of people thought that Pac or not Pacquiao but Provodnikov was going to knock Bradley out and you know watching a replay of the fight you know I for a split second thought oh my gosh you know he's going to get knocked out but it came close he was not fighting uh, the fight that he should have but it sure was entertaining he gets in there and starts exchanging punches uh, landed a few shots great shots on him he took him well and then, boom, that big right hand came over the top. Big right hand by Probotnikov. And Bradley falls back while trying to get up. That should have put him to sleep, Roy. Hey, what the f*** is going on, man? Come on! I think I got a concussion in the first round. Man, when he hit me, dude, my, my freaking chin went back here. Hey, I told you not to f***ing get curtains in there, man. And my second round, started trading with him, man, and got caught again. So eventually, Bradley... <clears throat> He does go back to fighting more intelligently, and he was able to get a uh, a close, but uh, n this time not so controversial decision over an opponent, and earned uh, earned some respect back from the boxing public, in my opinion. But um, he also earned quite a lot of physical damage, probably more than most people realize. The only thing I wasn't happy with was the damage that I had received from doing that. Our body's not meant to be taking punishment like that. You know, my speech was slurred a little bit. My balance was a little bit off. That's very concerning, in my opinion. Uh, because you don't want to see somebody get hurt, either in the short term or the long term. I mean, I hope that, uh, you know, nothing bad happens to Tim Bradley later in his life, but he's got to fight a very disciplined fight and cannot afford to get into uh, rough exchanges with a fighter as uh, dangerous as Juan Manuel Marquez. And that's where we uh, make our next transition into Marquez's camp. And I'm not going to play as many clips just because um, th there's no point. I mean, I don't want to do all the translating like I just did before. But the thing that has surprised me the most and... I thought Marquez was like maybe uh, 38 or 39. No, he's 40 years old. And um, I hope that I am moving that well at the age of uh, 40. I'm 27 right now, so I've got about 13 or so years to make some uh, some decent life choices and uh, lifestyle changes so that I uh, I can still do the things that I like to do. So Marquez celebrates his birthday with his family, and uh, then we transition back to Bradley, who's saying he's not going to lose to a 40-year-old man. And uh, we get to see something uh, very interesting, and I had known about this for several years, but Bradley has already uh, got extra income outside of boxing because he owns a car repair shop. If he professes to prefer a simpler and sparer atmosphere at the gym, a few miles west, there is evidence of another side of his personality, B&M Tire and Auto, a repair shop Bradley owns and uses to showcase some of his most prized possessions. 
Tim's got a collection of cars. That is a 73 Chevy Impala, pretty lifted off the ground. It's his baby, his work in progress, his, his old school. Five different TVs on here. Why does a car need five TVs in it? I, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but is that really necessary? Anyway, let's move on. We also have a, a couple of accounts, and one in particular, we have the Desert Springs uh, Police Station. They We have fixed all the police cars there. That tells you right there, man. We we doing good things over there. And it also shows that Bradley is being intelligent uh, and thinking about a life outside of boxing. I mean, you hear so much about these former fighters who, you know, they won the title and they just spend, 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 spend. You're going to hear about that when I talk about my uh, book review coming up. But, uh... So we're going to delve into some uh, a little bit of controversy here because, uh... Pac or not Pacquiao, geez, why do I keep mentioning him? He's not in this fight. Bradley. Bradley uh, brings up one Manuel Marquez's controversial uh, strength and conditioning coach. I don't get it how I could be undefeated, never lost, and still be an underdog. What are we not doing? We winning. So all we know how to do is hard work. He hired a cheating ass. What his name is? Heredia. Cheating ass. Test me 365 days a year. Come bring a needle. Uh, PEDs are once again luring their ugly head, but, uh, well, they're doing testing to make sure that no PEDs lure their ugly head, but all the same, it's, uh, it's almost led to the fight being canceled, uh, on a few occasions, actually, if I recall correctly. And Juan Manuel Marquez insists that he has not done anything illegal and that all that Bradley has to do is just look at his career and he'll see that he's a clean fighter. During the press tour and early promotions for the bout, drug testing was a contentious subject, with the fighters disagreeing on what authority would handle the testing and how and when the test would be administered. Top rank, the promoter of the fight, turned to the Nevada State Athletic Commission for help. On this fight, Bradley Marquez, we're doing something we haven't done before and that is enhanced out-of-competition drug testing. It's a program that was developed in concert with the World Anti-Doping Agency, and the particulars of which, by design, will remain secret. Neither fighter, nor the general public for that matter, are going to know how many tests, what type of tests, uh, where we're focusing our efforts until after the fight. Of course, if there's a positive test, we won't be having a fight. On an unrelated subject, and I, I don't know, maybe maybe I've just blocked it from my mind or I can't remember. But does anybody remember the past two, um, you know, all accesses featuring Floyd Mayweather? Did they mention or even show him, like, talking or doing any of the drug testing that he's always, you know, going on and on about? I, I don't know. It, if somebody can just let me know, I'd really appreciate that. And that pretty much uh, leads to the end of the episode. There, there's the usual ending montage where they're both training, saying, oh, I'm going to win, I'm going to win. But uh, you know what? For the most part, this was a good episode. Just good. Nothing terribly great. But uh, at the same time, there's one more after this, and then the fight is on October 12th. And I've got uh, that night off from work, so I will be watching it and doing the whole live tweeting or Facebook updates as usual, so look forward to that. Uh, I want to close this podcast with something I've probably never done on a podcast before, and that's a book review. Um, 
when I went to see uh, Alvarez versus Mayweather at the bar, uh, the fight wasn't on yet, so I just walked around the uh, shopping mall. I went into a bookstore, wanted to see if it had any good boxing books, and I saw one. It was called One Punch from the Promised Land. Leon Spinks, Michael Spinks, and the Myth of the Heavyweight Title. And it's about the Spinks brothers, how they made history as uh, the first brothers to uh, win Olympic gold and eventually win the heavyweight championship at different times in their careers. I picked it up last week. If you've never... If you ever read uh, the, the Highlights magazine when you were a kid, you remember Goofus and Gallant? Well, Leon and Michael are the goofus and gallant of Boxing Brothers, I'm sorry to say. I mean, reading this book, and it's a, it's a good book, but it, it makes you incredibly frustrated with uh, Leon Spinks because based on what you read, you realize this guy had the potential to become one of the greatest heavyweights ever, and he just blew it. And, and meanwhile, Michael Spinks was a guy who didn't want to turn pro. He was content working, you know, a, just a blue-collar job at a hotel or whatever it was. And yet, you know, obviously he's the one who made it into the Hall of Fame. In fact, I think it said in the book that he, at the time, I'm not sure if that record has changed, but he was the youngest person inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame when after he retired. The book has some uh, very good moments. I mean, they were able to interview Emmanuel Stewart, who not only trained Michael Spinks, but uh, also lived across the street from him when... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, he didn't train Michael Spinks, he trained Leon Spinks. But uh, Leon owned a home across the street from Emmanuel Stewart after he won the title. And sometimes Stewart had to come over because, you know, there were all these parties going on. Or sometimes Leon was getting the crap kicked out of him by his wife and her friend because Leon bought his new girlfriend a car. There are some... There are some problems with the books. I would have liked to have known more about Michael Spinks' relationship with Eddie Futch. Eddie Futch is only mentioned... I'm look. I'm just got the index... He's not mentioned very often in the fight, I, or in the book. I would have loved to have known, you know, how they work together. I mean, obviously, it mentions how Futch had a strategy for how to beat Mike Tyson, but that didn't happen because Michael was petrified. What also does not help the book is that Michael was not interviewed for the book, and that was because the authors approached uh, Michael's lawyer and Michael wanted to be paid for his services and no journalist is going to do that. But it's still a very good read, one that I enjoyed. One Punch from the Promised Land, Leon Spinks, Michael Spinks, and the Myth of the Heavyweight Title. Pick it up because it is definitely worth your money. Anyway, that's all we have for you. We hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the BoxingForFree.com podcast. You can find us at www.boxingforfree.com, twitter.com slash boxingforfree, youtube.com slash boxingforfree, and facebook.com slash boxingforfree page. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Dune, Podbean, and several other podcast directories. If you use iTunes, please give us feedback and a rating to let everyone know that Boxing for Free is your source for boxing news and commentary. I'm Andrew Schweitzer, thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in next time.